Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Okay, what's up, Dragon Sworn? This is Steven, your host. Thank you for tuning in to Phantology. And I have Jake and Caden on for another Wheel of Time installment. We are up to book eight. So Jake is our expert. Jake, tell everyone uh, why they should listen to your Wheel of Time opinion. <laughs> um, maybe I'm not the expert because <laughs> in pre-production, I was like, wait, this is book eight, right? So <laughs> we're doing book seven. <laughs> I guess we'll see how Jake does then. And uh, Kaden is our first-time reader. So, Kaden, tell everyone why your opinion as a first-time reader matters. You probably don't want to listen to me. I don't know if my opinions are that are that good so far. I don't know. Man, that's my bad. I just put you on the spot, trying to <laughs> trying to uh, st- start off the episode with something interesting. Okay, so <laughs> Path of Daggers is the shortest book in the series, and according to Wikipedia. It was the first of the Wheel of Time to make it to the New York, New York Times number one bestseller. So this is, I guess, when Wheel of Time was getting really popular. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like in general, not that this is the weakest entry, but it'd be considered one of the weaker entries in the Wheel of Time. So interesting that it's the first one to get on the New York Times bestselling. So you're saying once it got there, people read it and they were just like way disappointed. They're like, what the heck? This is number one. I just feel like it's more like the series at this point had like become more of a phenomenon. Sure. Yeah. Phenomenon. But um, I feel like book four or five deserves to be up there more than this one for sure. So Caden, how is the momentum going for you? Jake is saying that uh, this is not one of the stronger entries to the series. And some would say this is kind of when the slog of the series starts to happen. Uh, I know Jake's going to push back against that, but what's your opinion? So I actually like this book better than book seven. Uh, I don't think there was as many huge moments maybe that happened, but I felt like there still was a lot happening in this book throughout the whole thing. They're just kind of little things all around. And it was pretty quick too. It wasn't like, it was a shorter book, like you said. So I don't think it was like really drawn out and like overly done. So I, yeah, I, I thought this was going uphill for me in the series compared to the last book. I guess we'll see what your opinion is going into Winter's Heart too. <laughs> I guess my only, uh, I guess, criticism of this one, why I don't think it's quite as good as uh, the last couple books is just, like you said, not as, there aren't as many big moments Whereas the last few books, you have those big moments, but yeah, probably the, the shorter length kind of at like helps it. The pacing is probably a little faster than the longer ones. I, I would not say that this is part of the slog though. I actually got done with this book and was like, wait, it's over kind of like nothing really big had happened, but I wasn't like being like, oh man, is it over yet? Right. Yeah. You think you would have been more upset if you were reading it at the time and there wasn't another installment? So you're just like, it's it's over? That That's it? That's true. Yeah, I, I yeah. think so. Yeah. I dive straight into Winter's Heart like right after finishing this one to keep going because I think there are a lot there are a lot of major storylines unresolved, I think, at the end of this book where nothing like finishes off. And so it was really easy for me to dive into the next one. Maybe a lot of cliffhangers. It's also, and I, this could be to its benefit or detriment, it's one where like there's no, there's no real like triumph, like a sense of triumph to it. I feel like everybody's storylines kind of end either neutral or in a negative way. You know, Bail gets captured. Rand is not doing well mentally or politically. Well, maybe politically fine, but you know, he gets betrayed by the Ashaman at the end. So in addition to him kind of going crazy fighting the Sean Chan. So it's not, it doesn't end on like a hopeful tone. Whereas the last few books, every climax is kind of a, yeah. okay. Like the good guys have made 
at least like one more. We've taken out one more Forsaken. <laughs> yeah, one more milestone is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for a couple of books, it was one more, <laughs> one more Forsaken. The one storyline I feel like that did end on a good note was Egwene's, right? Where they mm-hmm. end and they're, I think they're about to lay siege to Tarvalin, right? Mm-hmm. And that felt yeah. like, that was the one storyline that was like, okay, we had some good, happy progress, right? The... And she had, yeah, she had a triumph there, kind of right. martial law, manipulating uh, the, the sitters there, Romata and Lelian. I, I can never pronounce Lelaine. her name. Lelaine. Yeah, I think it's okay. Lelaine. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> and then uh, the Bowl of Winds. Hey, that that was a triumph for the light, right? We're able That's to like activate the, very the Bowl beginning, of Winds, right? Yeah, it, it's in it's in the beginning. But are you being sarcastic, Stephen, or are you? Uh, well, you so I'm I'm, I'm partially sarcastic. On <laughs> one hand, big triumph for the light. We're able to do the Bowl of Winds, and you know the Dark One has been thwarted there. On the other hand, big triumph for the reader because now we don't have to read about the Bowl of Winds anymore. So it's a total win-win. But I didn't even feel like it was a triumph for the the heroines, right? Because now it's, there's just snow everywhere, and this is like one extreme to the other. And I don't know if that's good or bad. This is a, a criticism I have as like a read reread through it. At the time, I was like, oh yeah, this needed to happen. And but every time I reread it, I'm like, like yeah, they fixed the weather, which I guess is important. But in the grand scheme of things, like mm-hmm. maybe killing another Forsaken would have been a better, better use, use of, of their time, time. you know. <laughs> Although I did think it was cool. This is one where in the beginning, Avienda like picks apart the gateway, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then causes that huge explosion. No, she doesn't cause the explosion. She's able to do it. And Moradin's like flabbergasted, right? Because this is not something that's supposed to be po- to possible at all. And then Elaine tries to do the same thing later oh, on right. when the Shanchan are attacking and she causes the huge explosion. Oh, I, yeah, I remember that wrong. I thought Avienda did it both times and like purposely used it as a weapon the second time. But that was kind of cool. Now, just remember Avienda does the cool stuff and Elaine does the <laughs> annoying stuff. <laughs> okay, so I saw this thing on Twitter, this little poll on Twitter from Fantasy for the Ages, which is a podcast that I've done a collaboration with. So they posted this Wheel of Time poll and I thought it was relevant for our recording today. So I want to get your guys' uh, response on this poll. Before we do that, if you like Phantology, you can find more reviews, including the beginning of the Wheel of Time series at Phantology underscore books on Twitter and social media and online at www.phantologybooks.com. Hop on Discord, let us know your opinions, etc. So, okay, so this Twitter poll. So it said, uh, you're trapped on a deserted island in the Arth Ocean, and there's only bamboo and coconuts on the island, and you can choose one companion to be on the island with you, right? So your choices are either Lan, Tom, Berylane, or Loyal. Who do you take? I think Tom or Loyal for me. Okay, so which one? <laughs> I don't know. I'd go Tom over Loyal. <sighs> there's a lot of things to consider, right? Like, yeah, are you gonna try to are you gonna try to get off the island somehow? Like, are you gonna be able to? build a raft or try to escape or is there anything like that because if that's going on then i'd go for maybe land land seems like you know someone who can live off the land pretty well obviously tom can probably do okay as well in that department i suppose but tom could also entertain you yeah i was thinking pure entertainment that's why i was going tom or loyal tom for tom would have stories and etc and loyal probably had stories as well because he's read so many books i feel like loyal wouldn't stop talking though if you wanted him to be quiet. True, but what if he could? What if he could do some tree singing or whatever? That's true. Build and, a nice little like, yeah, island. Well, fort. What were the options again? Yeah, Land, so it was, Tom, it was those three, and also Barrelane. You guys aren't considering Barrelane. No. <laughs> so can I tell you who I chose? Yeah, Barrelane. <laughs> well, I chose I chose Barrelane. Okay, so here's the thing: we're trapped on the island, right? Like. Let's say we want to, you know, let's let's say we want to live our life a little, build build up a community. You got to take Barrelane. So you're you're thinking, I guess I was also thinking, you know, like we'd stayed on the island and that would just be where we live from now on. I wasn't thinking about posterity. I was I was being selfish. I think that's not stressful trying to raise children on it. If that's what you're, is that what if that's what you're going for? <laughs> and it, it's it might be a little unfair to you guys because because you're married and so maybe you know this is 
this is not something you want to entertain. But I mean, I'm thinking, you know, Barry Lane's like, she's pretty, she's pretty, she's like fairly hot. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, more important, she's competent. Yeah. She's not bad. Right? I mean, she's a little, <laughs> she's a little obnoxious with Perrin. She's a little obnoxious yeah. with the whole Perrin stalking thing, but, and, and we don't want to do spoilers for Caden for the rest of the series. I like Barry Lane. I don't think she's that bad. People kind of hate on her. I don't think she's that bad. I don't, yeah, I don't think she's that bad. She's, she chooses frustrating actions kind of intentionally, right? Like, I don't know how much, how much does she actually like Perrin and how much is it File said to stop and Perrin is a good strategic move apart from that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit of spite plus security there. Okay, good. So it's Bear Lane. Bear Lane is the choice. (laughs) I, I, I'm going, I'm going loyal. (laughs) I'd go Tom. All right. I think, I think Shaitan posting on Facebook would also choose loyal in that situation. There's been some pretty funny loyal memes. So moving on past the island sequence there, just to kind of <laughs> start us off with something a little bit different there. So Caden, we're up to book eight now, and the scope of the series has really started to expand, right? In a, in a lot of different ways. So two pretty obvious ways are that just the pure number of characters and the variety of locations. Like now we're starting to travel around and hop to different places. And you've been introduced to a lot of places. Now you feel like you kind of have the map filled out. So as a first time reader, I mean, this has evolved over the course of the books. You start off with just kind of these farm boys and and two rivers. And now I've got the whole continent available to us. So how is the evolution of the scope going for you? No, it's definitely getting bigger. I have a hard time keeping track of all the people, I think, in across the series. That's especially fair, yeah. especially reading or listening to it. Um, I read. I guess I read book seven. Yeah, it's it can be hard to keep track, especially when Robert Jordan relies on their physical descriptions a lot of the time to know who's doing what. He won't mention them by name too, which I think can be hard for me to remember who looks looks like what. But as far as like the actual world, as far as geography goes, I feel a lot more confident now in understanding like where things are and the different cultures that are presented so far. It kind of, it still feels like there's a lot of world to explore though, because you have Sanchan out in the middle of nowhere. You just know it's mm-hmm. somewhere else on the same planet, right? And right somewhere across the sea. So it still feels like there's a big world to unexplored at the same time. You can find maps of that. I think it's published in the... Oh, what's it called? That uh, like appendix illustrated book that goes Bullet along time with... companion. Yes. The companion. Yeah. I'll have to show you that next time you're over at my place. I have the companion. So out of all these characters, what character, what minor character needs like more screen time, which character are you kind of digging, but they're not there enough where you're like, every time they're there, you like it, but you just need more of more of them. Good question. Let's see. Um, or none. Maybe they're all perfectly balanced. I wish there was more. I guess ah, that's not really a minor character. I would say, well, I feel like Perrin's become a minor character in a sense. He's not. Oh, really? So I don't know. At least in this book, like it didn't feel like anything crazy happened to him. I felt like I wanted more. Yeah, since the defense of the two, well, since the defense of the two rivers, his role has has kind of diminished. He's not doing as right. many cool yeah. things. I mean, he had a he had a bigger part in book six. That's true. But it was it was more of a side character okay. part. All right. Uh, I think Mazram Taim is pretty cool. Pretty pretty compelling. Yeah. Okay. So, what are your thoughts on Taim? That's and maybe that's why it's so compelling. Because I have no idea what to think of him. I don't think he's an evil. Per- I mean, he might be kind of bad, but not like the dark one evil. And I think he's just motivated by kind of personal gain. Sure. Okay. So I don't really know what his end goal here is besides having like this large army maybe taking over the world. What are your thoughts on his role in the ambush against Rand, right? Like, did he play a hand in that? Um, I feel, I feel like it kind of like hints that way a little bit. But if I were to choose right now, I'd say no, that he wasn't involved. How do you, what do you think? Because um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, at one point, admit, okay, we might have to. Uh, I can't remember if this is in Winter's Heart or not, so maybe spoilers. Because you, you, you started, you're a little bit into Winter's Heart at recording time, right? Yeah. yeah. 
there is a there's a part where they go to the Ashman camp and it's following Loghain. So this might not be in. No, that happens when he bombs okay. some of the yes. I said either. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it has like they have the the I don't know if they call them warrants, right? But they had the list of deserters mm -hmm. uh, that they are supposed to chase down and kill. And I don't know. That to me, like I don't I he could be just doing it for show, but I feel like spending all that time to track down these people and letting them potentially at risk, even if, if he was on our side, he wouldn't do that. Uh, that's kind of my only indication that maybe he didn't do it. I also don't want him to be involved too, so maybe there's a slight bias there. Okay, big Taim fan, apparently. <laughs> so do you think the, the Ashman just went crazy or they had allegiance to other Dark One affiliates? Like how do you how do you see the, the I see them getting approached the by like one of the Forsaken, like yeah. Morden, maybe, or you know, one of these other Forsaken running around, right? And kind of potentially like I mean these the Ashman know they're going to go crazy, right? If they're touching the source for so long. So wouldn't they have a pretty big draw to align with the Forsaken and maybe be shielded from the um, you know, effects of Sidene? I don't know. I don't know okay. what really is happening okay. behind, but that that's a theory for you. So you think as an Ashman, it's a better strategy to go for the Forsaken promise of glory than stick with the Randolph or potential cleansing of Sidene? Because... He brings that up in this book. He, he tells them that he's going to try to cleanse it. I'm skeptical of that happening, So at least so far. I, I don't know how soon that would actually happen. Mm. Mostly because I feel like Rand, like Rand's um, craziness is kind of a, a critical plot point, at least so far in the last eight books. And I feel like it probably would be going forward. And I don't know, maybe that the effects of Sidene have already taken a toll there, but I feel like just wiping that away would kind of change like a whole buildup of eight books. So yeah. you think he's he's too crazy to be competent to cleanse Sidene? A little bit, yeah. That's also like his, like when he mentions it in this book, it's kind of his motivation towards that, right? Seeing yeah. other other people affected by the madness and his own madness. Yeah, and I just see like, it talks about several times where they had to, they just kind of killed Ashaman, right? That started to go crazy. Yeah. And I just, if I was an Ashaman seeing that, I'd kind of be like, hang on, this is happening really quick here. Mm hmm Hmm. You kind of mentioned that, but to me, I think one of the main side characters I would have liked to see more time with is Loghain in yeah, this book. Yeah, I do like Loghain. Yeah, definitely. Every, every scene he's in, I'm like, oh, give me more <laughs> Loghain. And he's going to have a bigger role in the TV show. And I think a lot of fans are pretty excited for that. Yeah. I liked, this is kind of, maybe you disagree with me. This is just kind of a smaller plot line, but I enjoyed the parts of the White Tower where they were, trying to uncover the block Aja there with the oath rod and everything that was Siani and Pavara. If I, yeah. I probably butchered the pronunciations, but uh, that for whatever reason, I was always compelled by that part. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. I liked it. It's kind of indirectly something good that Elida uh, did, which goes more towards her being a more misguided person than a dark friend. Right. And she's kind of just totally in the dark friends grasp with i think it's alviarin right is the mm -hmm. the keeper of the, the chronicles and the keeper of elida at this point <laughs> right yeah exactly so uh i thought it was kind of a yeah full side story and the fact that they'd used the the oath rod right and go against that they're kind of going against their what they normally should do as i said maybe it was just nice to see something in the white tower from the other side like you know these guys are not all the evil red corrupted people like there's some pretty genuine people that are still on the the side of the elida white tower as well so it just kind of makes it a compelling conflict rather than a good versus evil it's just like you know one side versus the other after reading it though i feel more against the white tower than i felt for them just because they one of the Aes Sedai that they interview with the oath rod is one of the rebels that came back and was yeah. spreading the everyone what what the red aja had done and that just like made me more like of course i'm cheering for the rebels because Egwene's there but that made me more mad that they like you know made her swip like swear to be obedient and kind of took control of her yeah I, I really like this section because of the like you said steven it's not just good versus evil um you get it it's a little more nuanced than that um i and i really liked how these instead of just the white tower being this monolithic 
these are all what Elida's Aes Sedai are doing, and this are all what Egwene's Aes Sedai are doing. We already got that Egwene's side is has is a little more factioned than you would have expected. You know, different mm-hmm. factions trying to control her, competing for each against each other, and then her herself is in between that. But this, we get to see it with Elida's side as well, where these people aren't necessarily loyal to Elida, but they are to the tower. And you get to, I don't know, it's also cool, like, they're not just these dummies sitting in wait, you know, they're also being active, they can tell something's up. And I kind of like the fact, um, I mean, it's frustrating, but I like the fact that they were kind of gray characters about how they interacted with the rebel Aes Sedai. I liked how it was... I don't know, more of a nuance. To me, when I first read this, it was the first time I had really read a, a fantasy series like this where it wasn't just so black and white, good versus evil, which a lot of the Will of Time is. You know, you have the dark one who is like the ultimate embodiment of evil, <laughs> but I, this is the first time seeing like right, right, right. people involved in it, you know, being a little more gray. I mean, I don't think it's on the same level as Game of Thrones, but for me, it was my first little taste of that. Mm-hmm. So which character do we need less of? I feel like it'd be, we kind of beaten the point, but Elaine a little <laughs> bit. Before we go to uh, Elaine, to, uh, before, we'll talk about the main viewpoints, kind of the four main plot lines, but what, like, are there any minor characters kind of sticking it's, on that? Are there any minor characters that we see like too much of? Can I say one more actually before we go there that I actually like to see? Yeah. Um, was Davram Bashir. Okay. Um, and he has a part kind of where Rand's going crazy. Right, he saves the day. Yeah, and I, I was excited about that part. I like seeing him and his his role, and I, I'd be cool to see more of him. You like him more than his daughter? I do, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, we can come up when we talk about her a little bit, but yeah. I honestly don't get all the Fael hate. I think there's some frustrating plot moments that she's involved in, but like, I don't... I don't see her as annoying, but I also don't think Gowan is as annoying as most of the fandom seems to think either. So I don't hate Fael. I I don't know. She feels like she tries too hard. That's like her whole character, though, is trying to right. prove herself to be more capable than others would assume, and and she it makes her look like a fool a lot of the time. But also, it helps at times. She's pretty polarizing. There are people who are like huge fans, and also people who are not huge fans <laughs> yeah, i'm like i feel like i'm right in the middle i'm not like a huge fan of her yeah there are people who would like love her or hate her and i'm just like i think she served her purpose well and i think we need to have more fiery opinions on phantology <laughs> podcast in order to really spur up some interest okay i love fail and i love gowan and ben and josh love elaine <laughs> those are <laughs> we've got them takes. we've got them all covered <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay, sorry, Steven. Back to your question. Yeah. Cad Swain? Okay, good. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yeah, we could use less of her. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, not a fan of Cad Swain. I like the idea that she's kind of like the mentor replacing Moraine and that there's still someone serving that purpose for Rand. But man, she is so annoying. I don't even think she's done anything yet, though, mentor-wise. Has she even talked to him, really? She told him that Kalandor was flawed. That's really, like, the only useful piece of information okay. she's imparted that I remember. Right. Remind me again what she, does in, what she does in this book. Not that much. She promises with uh, Soriella. I think they, they promise they're going to make Rand laugh and cry and, and kind of oh, break right. him out of okay. this you know, hard, hard uh, facade that he has thrown up around him. Facade, right? Where there, you, you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, his, yeah, she, yeah. Has she actually done anything? No, not really. I was gonna say, I feel like overall through the series, the Aes Sedai have changed. You have more rain at the beginning, or you see a lot of Aes Sedai that are very full of themselves. And I feel like the Aes Sedai that we that we followed have kind of been humbled throughout different plot points and have changed personality wise. But I feel like Cat Swain is just like right back where we started. Yeah, she she it was because the. Uh this Elida side you know tried to kidnap him and so they lost a ton of face there and whatever leverage they had had to swear to him and then the rebel side had to swear to him as well due to that and then Cad Swain is like she's outside of both groups yep. and I think that is to her benefit but also 
like you said, it's back to kind of the arrogant Aes Sedai. Although I don't, I don't remember feeling like Moraine was as arrogant as Cad Swain comes off. And I don't know if it's because when you're introduced to Moraine, Rand is, and like the rest of them are so inexperienced that it's like, oh, of course you'd like listen to her. And I think, yeah, you like Moraine too, just because you know she's trying to help him. You know really that her, what her best interests are. You know, it's not for Rand to, to live, but for the world to survive. And I still am unclear really what Cat Swain, like, uh, like she just basically wants to control Rand. There's like no empathy, it feels like for. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, rem- I remember feeling like, feeling like a sense of like, oh, this is cool. Something cool is going to happen when her and Cerulea were like, we need to make the car car and cry and laugh again. I guess you guys didn't feel that way. <laughs> uh, no, not really. I was like, finally, Rand needs to learn to cry and laugh again. Where, where's he at? He's like, needs to be as hard as iron or steel right now. <laughs> yeah. What, at what point is he? Has he, <laughs> what, what hardness level is he at? Yeah. <laughs> The other thing I'd say there is there's a, there's all this foreshadowing around Cat Swain with Min, right? Min has these uh, foretellings that Cat Swain's going to teach Rand this super important thing, right? And so if it is just to make him laugh again, like I don't know, the foreshadowing, the build up here is going to be like not I don't know anticlimactic, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I guess we will leave that to you to to find out. Raffo. I feel like there could have been a little better, like a better introduction to Cad Swain in the series. Like you don't really hear of her until she's a thing. It would have been cool if there were like um, moments before where like Moraine and Swan are talking and like, you know, like I wish we could be like, we would know what to do like the legendary Cad Swain, you know, or something like that. Not that they would say that, but I wish she was mentioned more before she was actually there. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, who is she? Oh, well, this is who she is. We build up her legend more. Yeah. Well, like, like a, like a Lafayette entrance from Hamilton. I was thinking like a, like a Baez, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sure. Yeah. 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 That, that works too. That's from uh, Joe Abercrombie's books but i man wheel of time to play we just got news that uh, they're gonna make a game of thrones inspired play so i guess yeah on broadway so i guess wheel of time is the next big thing after the big tv series hits and it captivates everything i guess we we look forward to the play after that <laughs> i feel like wheel of time is way better what's the word not situated but it's like it's a better story to be interpreted as a play than game of thrones is it's a long play though i mean musical numbers can count for years you know <laughs> <laughs> all right let's talk about the maybe we should talk about the actual plot of this book so uh we spent some time on some on some tangential pieces of the book so let's just kind of go over some main plot points so starting with elaine because i think she does get the most point of view and this one sounds like Caden was not a fan, but to recap the plot points, they escaped the golem and Abianda does the gateway thing. They use the bowl of wind successfully. Elaine releases the gateway bomb and the Shanchen thing gets a weapon from the Sedai. And then her and Abianda become first sisters. And the last thing is they make it to Camelin finally. And Elaine like takes down the dragon banners and says, I'm going to be the, the queen here again. So, Really, like if you look at it, each of these different viewpoints in this book, there's not a whole lot of big notable events, and we kind of already mentioned that. But for Elaine, what stands out, positive or negative, perhaps? Positive. I actually really like the beginning and the, the unraveling uh, of the the gateways and kind of fleeing from the Sam Chan. You liked all that part. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a lot of stuff moving. Where it fell apart for me was when she gets to Camelin. Uh, she declares for the lion's heart. It feels like a lot, there was just a lot there that, and nothing happened, like we said. But it feels like there's also like, she starts getting really mad at Rand for all the stuff that he's done. And it's just a classic, it's another classic Wheel of Time, like communication breakdown, right? Where mm-hmm. Rand feels like he's doing all this stuff to help her. And she's like, you're an idiot. And all this stuff hasn't helped me. And they go, yeah. that goes on, I feel like for a long time, like in several different chapters, which I thought got a little. Yeah, I, this is like, one of the frustrating things of Elaine is she gets so upset at Rand and other people over things where 
it is just like if they would talk it through, you'd think they'd get to a better resolution, especially with Rand, who she supposedly loves, you know. But I do like the the idea of like I like how it explores the idea of he's like, okay, I have this palace ready for you. You know, you just take it when you get here. As the and like her point of view is no, I need to take it myself to be like to cement that I have earned this. I can like I'm responsible for this in the eyes of her countrymen and her other nobles. It's kind of, it's like a feminist um, patriarchal thing going on in a society that's mostly matriarchal. And so it's like frustrating, but I almost like, I can almost get like, I understand where Elaine's coming from, but I don't get the degree of how upset she is and how, I don't know. At the same time, Rand is basically avoiding her. So, I mean, <laughs> I was going to say, to be fair, Rand is absent and yeah, she still has to win the trust of all the houses, right? Regardless of if yeah. Rand prepared for her. So, there's still work to be done. So, yeah, yeah. I, I do like that. Like you said, I, I agree. Rand has got some major issues, though. He's got a lot on his plate at the time. Right. Right. But, but as much as like I'm upset at Elaine for reacting this way when it doesn't seem like it should be that big of a deal, especially put into context with the world ending things that are happening and Rand has to think about at the same time, he basically wants, you know, he knows she's getting there and he's just like, okay, I'm out. Like, I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to talk to her. So I I think it's understandable that she'd be frustrated at the least. I think one of Rand's biggest failures as a leader is just not putting people in the right places to help him with his tasks and part of that is because he has a voice in his head and he's going crazy. And he's also, his trust has been abused so many times. Yeah. That he just can't trust anyone. But, you know, if he had some competent person to say like, okay, you just make sure Camelin works for Elaine and don't go crazy with it. Just manage the country. Right. Like if he had someone like that, I think it would help so much, but unfortunately the plot does not allow also, for Rand's side of things, if he hadn't have done that, you know, he had to kill Robin. And if he hadn't, like, basically claimed Camelin until mm-hmm. Elaine got there, one of the other houses would have taken over, right? And then yeah. Elaine would, have, would not have had the chance to even do what she's doing now, right? Like, legally, mm-hmm. they already would have ratified the, like, the other succession, whoever would have won. And then... Like it would have been even harder for her to win the trust when it's like, well, where were you when your mother died? Well, she was off getting the bow of winds, Jake. That was really important. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure she explained. Uh, you see the snow? That's because of me. Now make me your queen. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the. I like how the. I feel like in other stories it would be like in Lord of the Rings it would be yes I kept this for you and now they got there and. I guess maybe not. I mean, you had Denethor, the steward, who was kind of holding on to power too long. But it's not such a cookie-cutter story as you'd expect it to be. They're allies, so you would think the transition of power would be easy. They would, you know, be thankful for each for each other's actions. But I like how it's more complicated than that, like real life would be. One thing in the Elaine storyline that surprises me is it feels like in the Wheel of Time, there's rumors that fly across the entire... Oh yeah, you know, right. But somehow, a rumor of more gays being alive has not reached Elaine. With all the other stuff lying around, shouldn't something have reached her that maybe possibly her her mom's still alive? Who knows her mom's alive right now? The like the white cloaks. I mean, definitely yeah, white the cloaks. people from Amadicia. Amadicia, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Huh. They're a tight knit bunch. Those children <laughs> of the light. <laughs> all right, what stood out? What stood out from Perrin's part? Let's go to Perrin. He's in uh, Gilladon. Jake, how do you say it? Gilladon? Michael Kramer say Gilladon. Yeah. He says Gilladon, but it's not spelled that way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's spelled like G-H-E-A-L-D-A-N. Yeah. And he pronounces it (laughs) G-H-E-L-A-D-A-N. There's some silent letters there, perhaps. Yeah. Anyway, so they're (laughs) off in G-Town. And... uh, they're trying to help out with Masima and the dragon's horn down there. They don't really do that much. And maybe that's why kid and you were saying he's more of a side character. They do get Morgase. They rescue Morgase in disguise and then meet up with Elias again, who is a character and uh, they get the 
fealty from my girl Berylaine. And then at the end, Masima says like, okay, I'll go with you, but I'm not going to travel. And then Fidel gets captured by the Shido, who are another very annoying group of characters. Don't they also <laughs> get fealty from like the queen? Yeah, Aleandre. Uh, Aleandre. Aleandre. Yeah. Who I'm not impressed with overall. Because she has like no real power. And because the prophet was able to take over her place. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean... I don't know. I feel like, to be fair, like he had way, like he had so many dragon sworn following him, and she was kind of just doing whatever it took to. I feel like it's the same situation as um, Tylen with the Shan Chan. Yeah, sure. Or Berylaine herself, you know, off in her tiny yeah. little kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing else from Perrin then. <laughs> nothing notable here. <laughs> I was waiting for Perrin to like smack Masim over the head, knock him out, and like drag him back, you know, like forget the channeling. And he just is like too good for that, apparently. And like, listen to these Aes Sedai who just want to kill Masim already. Like, this is, he's not a good guy here, right? Yeah. So, what do, what do you think is going on with Masima? I, I feel like this is, a, this is the question for a lot of characters. Are they evil, misguided, or insane? Those are our options, right? Yeah. Masima's insane. <laughs> insane. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, if Taim is like misguided, I think. And yeah, Masima is insane. It is interesting how when when he first starts off being the prophet, it seems very much that he is like enthralled with Rand as the dragon reborn and and that whole thing. But at this point, it's so obvious that it is more due to power. Like if he really cared about just being with Rand, he would travel. But he, you can tell he's like, the faster I get back to Rand, like the faster I lose this power that I have over these people. So we have Fane, put on Fane as chaotic evil. I guess Masima is our chaotic neutral, would you say? I don't think he's evil. He's not evil. No. I think I think he's I don't Jake know, wants, evil you, is such you want to make him evil? <laughs> evil is such a loaded word. He's <laughs> Yeah, but Fane already occupies that spot so you can't put him there too. Yeah, true. Just he's one character. A, I don't think he's a good person, regardless of his motivations. Like I. So then the cliffhanger of Fael is gone. What do we do? That's how the book ends. You already said. I think Jake said earlier that like not there's not very many victories for our characters here, and uh, this is a this is not a good ending. This is a little foreboding here. Yeah. Again, you want Perrin to go scraping off somehow and find. I guess they don't even give you time for that. I guess that needs to happen. And... But I mean, knowing Parent, he's he's, he's yeah. gonna he's gonna try to right. get her back. I feel like this whole time, right? Fayil's trying to, yeah, like I said earlier, she's trying really hard to establish the spy network, right, and do all these things, and then yeah, I guess Capture's kind of a little sad. It seemed, and it seemed like it was going so well for a bit too. Like it seemed like she was she was like progressing in her plots, and then something so much out of anyone's control and all that's gone out the window and i don't i don't know i can't remember again this might have bleed into the little bit of winter's heart but she definitely like feels like she keeps her head as she's getting captured better than like Morgaze or eliandre or however you say her name yeah um, so props to her her there at least right where she's like i just need to go with it and i can figure out how to escape and the other ones are just Honestly, and this is so funny, but this, one of the saddest parts about this whole event for me was knowing that Bane and, is it Bane and Chiad that get uh-huh. captured? Or yeah, yeah, both of them. Knowing that they're going to be, you know, like, they're going to be Gaishain, how do they pronounce it? That's it, Gaishain. Gaishain? Yeah. Like, even if Fael, some, Fael somehow escapes, like, she can't count on them at all. Right. Yeah. And... <laughs> to escape and even if she does escape like they're gonna have to stay behind i don't know to me that was sadder than fail being taken <laughs> i i thought you said you weren't a fail hater you said you were neutral yeah i'm not a, i'm not a hater i i don't i don't think I, I don't know i like i'm not like glad she's captured but it was it was more sad to me that bane and chiat are gonna be guy shane guy shine or whatever Okay, so we talked about a lot of uh, Rand's parts already. 
I think the only thing worth mentioning, we still need to talk through, is the Black Tower is growing. We kind of talked about Taim. Caden's a big Taim fan, and he's going to, Rand's going to try to cleanse Sidene. And so the war with the Shanchan is what occupies most of the action. That's, I mean, that, that's most of the action of the entire book, and it's certainly in Rand's plot line. So it, the campaign is going well for a while. And then as he gets into Abu Dar, where Elaine let off her power bomb, he loses control and almost kills a bunch of people with, I mean, he does kill a bunch of people with Kalendor and it almost goes terribly until Caden's hero Bashir comes yeah. in and tackles him. And then he goes back and Catswain becomes his advisor. Great. And uh, finally the Ashaman, the, the uh, betraying Ashaman attack and destroy the palace and random men escape. And again, ending on a very foreboding note. It feels like Grant's always trying to escape something at the end of a book. Poor guy. I mean, there's a reason he needs therapy. <laughs> I liked the part where he went a little crazy. I mean, I, I don't know if you can say you could like it, but I feel like it it was good. It followed his character progression throughout the book, right? When he kind of loses control and ends up killing a lot of his own. I, I, want, I was just thinking about this now. Um, I had listened to a, I wonder who it was. Dang, I need to do better remembering all the Wheel of Time content I consume. I think it was probably Nabless, a YouTube channel, or, or <laughs> a YouTube channel who no, talks no, about Wheel of Time stuff. <laughs> a YouTube channeler. Um, shout out to Nabless, the YouTube channeler. I think he was one talking about how um, when they used the Bowl of the Winds, there was so much power that was used. And it was, I think in the lore that was like the Bowl of the Winds was supposed to be used more on like a small scale, like to affect the weather of a, mm. like a city or a small country. And they used it to affect the weather of the whole world. And because of that, they kind of stretched the boundaries of it, like what its use case was and put a strain on it, which also put a strain. I think, I think it put a strain on the pattern itself a little bit. And that's why afterwards you notice some people like have trouble channeling or um, some channelers had like headaches afterwards because it was mm -hmm. just, it, you know, it, I think I explained it well enough. Anyways, I don't think I explained it better, but I wonder if that kind of had an effect on Rand, why he was losing control with Calendor. I had never thought that before. I thought it was just him, you know, his madness, his, his lack of control that way. But I wonder if it also had to do with, the fact that the one power itself was just a little wonky in the area. It's gotta be right. I think it was all those things together. Yeah. Which I'd always read as, Oh, he's going like, it's just his madness, which there's definitely an element of that, but um, yeah, that's gonna this is first. true as well. It gives a little more importance to the bull of the winds storyline. So that's true. <laughs> Thank you. Nablus, our YouTube channeler. I think the part at the end where he has to poison the Ashaman more, right? Who goes crazy and just totally loses his mind. That part's really, really tough, right? And you kind of, you understand why Rand has to, feels like he has to make himself so hard and detached because he's got to do a bunch of, you know, some pretty tough, terrible things and, and he doesn't know how to cope with it otherwise. Yeah, and I think it's especially poignant after the campaign and Abu Dar, where he loses control. So it's, mm -hmm. he, you know, he's seeing himself. Oh, yeah. That too. And, and this, what was the name of the Ashaman? More. More. Yeah. So he sees himself and more as he has to help him, you know, rest the restful sleep. <laughs> Very poetic. <laughs> okay. The last main viewpoint character was Egwene, who did, I mean, she did a lot, but like not that many real notable things. So meeting with the Andorans, getting ready to go and travel. Her big moment was resting control of the hall from Romanda and Lillian. Say it again. I think it's Lillian. Lillian. Lillian, yeah. Yeah, from them playing them off each other and then using that uh, little martial law loophole. And then off they go to do something in Tarvalon to fight the battle. This is my favorite part of the White Tower politics so far that I've read throughout the series. Like, I felt like it was just well-written, the playing against each other, and then watching it all happen was very satisfying. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's maybe been building a little bit to this point, too. Through the last books, we've talked about the factions, right, for maybe two or three books now, right, in the Rebel group. And mm -hmm. 
So it was satisfying. And I also enjoyed the relationship. I like watching uh, Suan and Garth Brin's relationship okay. through the different books. So I think there's kind of funny, maybe a little comic relief. Yeah. I, I really like Swan as a character. Every time, every time I read it, she, I just like her more and more. I like her whole character development after she's stilled and, and healed and like how that changes how she can interact with the world and she still has like these plots and I like her as like a going sidekick mm-hmm. and yeah the her and Gareth Bren's um relationship is it's a good bit of comic relief we're doing right now on Twitter a top three sidekicks competition Swan would be a good entry but I feel like that's too spoilery yeah to say Swan is a sidekick because if you're starting the series you're like what the how could she be a sidekick yeah it's not really you'd really have to wait till book five t- to get a sense of that Maybe, maybe book six even. I was on a little panel of Wheel of Time YouTubers some time ago. And I said that Swan had the best character arc in the entire series. And I guess we can't talk about, you know, the end of her arc, right? Because we're, <laughs> we're only going up to book eight here. But I, I feel like that was a good, I, I still like that call. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I've really liked how her character has developed. Okay. Any other things before we get into our top three and bottom three character rankings um i have a little bit of a oh you have a twitter you have a twitter poll for us <laughs> no no worst of the best is that what we do I, yeah yeah okay you have a worst of the best okay i have a worst of the best when dang i'm gonna get destroyed in the comments for not knowing the name of the guy who did this but who was the ashaman who went and fetched kalendor for rand i think it's narishma right narishma Okay, in book th- four, when Rand leaves the stone, he like sticks this the calendar in the stone again, and he's like, "Oh, I've set some wards," and they've like talked about like he did it because there's some prophecy that says he who retrieves a sword will follow after him. Mm. And then in this book, they retrieve the sword, and nothing like Narishma retrieves it, and then what? He's like, "Okay, thank you for retrieving it." about your business you know like like that was as such a cool part in the book like wasted prophecy hmm never thought about that okay loophole plot hole plot hole maybe a little bit i don't know if you remember that or if you were thinking about that at all when you read that part caden i had forgotten that part well sorry to bring it up (laughs) no that's okay no it's good I never really understood why calendar was all that important. Like, is that a bad take? I feel like there are so many other objects of power. Like, yeah, it's super powerful, but at the same time, like there are other ways that I, I didn't ever feel like, Oh, calendar. Ooh. Like I never really cared that much. I think, I think it was mainly just hyped because of the fact that it was one of the like signs of him being the dragon reborn. And so it's a powerful Sangreal that is also yeah. related to someone being the Dragon Reborn. Whereas the, the Choden Call, you know, are way more powerful than Kalendor, but they don't have any, like, there's no prophecy explicitly tying it to the end of the world, basically. Okay. I think that's, that's the hype behind it. Okay. We're ready for top three and bottom three character rankings. So we do this every episode. If there are things that we missed from our coverage of the book so far, throw those in there. So we get a, you know, a a total coverage, but we're just going to go just this book, no spoilers beyond, or, you know, don't even consider what happened before, who are your top three and bottom three for the path of daggers. And we're going to start with Caden. Caden. (laughs) Bottom three. Top three. 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 Whichever. Okay. What's our bottom three then? Okay. All right, number three. I know we kind of talked about this already, but it was Aliandre the Queen. I just felt like even Thailand feels like she has a bigger control over her domain. I felt like really she just kind of like her swearing fealty like had no effect at all. Like it just like didn't feel like really anything that great. Mm. She didn't really have control over anything. Number two was Perrin. Sorry, I really like Perrin, but I had to throw him in my bottom just for this book because I feel like nothing he didn't get anything really accomplished. Then number one that we didn't really talk about was Savannah. 
<laughs> I think she's made my bottom three, like three books in a row now. Yeah, she so. continues to be the worst. <laughs> I, uh, but in this book, she hits an all time low where she has to swear on an oath rod to, I can't remember her name right now. Is it, uh, anyway, oh, is it a, like Pavara or? It starts with a T, I think. Um, yeah, it does start with the T. Mm. I have it written down somewhere. But yeah. anyway, she has to swear right to her wise women and she kind of becomes the, the chief in a sense, but. It just felt like she totally got outplayed hardcore in this book, even by her own people now at this point. So it was kind of just, she's just going continually downhill there. Like from what they had back in Fires of Heaven, where they were invading the wetlanders and they had this huge force. And now they're just like these scattered remnant of a people who was reduced to capturing Fael. Yeah. And in the last book, like I thought, I think it was Moradin who scatters them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was just like, that's really dumb. And it was just to, you know, cause chaos. And I really didn't feel like it was that cool of a mastermind plan, right? But even with that, like, it's just, they're just, they would have fallen apart in either way here, right? All right, fantastic bottom three, or, or you know, terrible bottom three. But either way, whatever way you want to look at it. Jake, what are yours? Um, I think I'd go, I, I was going to do the Shido in general, bottom three mainly i wasn't thinking savannah i was just thinking because of how like kind of like pathetically annoying they are like they don't do much but then when they do anything it's just so frustrating to the plot in this book so so the shadow in general not specifically savannah and then i'll go parent as well because poor parent is given such a simple seeming task to go fetch masima he finds him and then instead has to walk back like however thousand leagues or whatever it is to get back to Rand and then can't even do that because Fael gets captured at the end and then number one I do Masima mainly just because he has like there's no I, I can't foresee any good outcome for him and he's just digging in his heels to make it more painful for everyone else around him it's not like he's like there's no hint of oh I have a plan that if we walk back then I'll lead him I don't Uh know, to my fortress and turn the tables. It's just, (laughs) let's delay this as long as possible. Yeah, yeah, he he has no redeeming qualities. He just exists to make it harder for everyone else. (laughs) So so my bottom three were more, I guess Perrin's was an actual bottom three of he wasn't able to do a lot, but the other ones were just out of pure annoyance. Okay, I'm going to throw Moradin in my bottom three just because he was kind of consistently thwarted in this book and doesn't it doesn't really you know do anything that notable by the way kidden do you know what's going on with Morden at this point uh i i accidentally read a spoiler online so i know who he is now yeah. uh but i i had i don't know if we want to talk about it now but i don't remember if it's actually explicitly revealed in this book or not so okay so maybe we, we hold off on that okay number two i'm can i throw another for a second I feel like Arangar slash Halma is in there just because this Forsaken does nothing. What what is the plan here, Arangar? Like this is this is pathetic. This is pathetic. You're reduced to killing maids. You're a Forsaken, really. So that was embarrassing. Maybe other Forsaken. I I can't throw another one in my bottom three because that's just too much. But we should also mention Sindane. Is that how you say her name? Yeah. kind of the new the new forsaken do you know what's going on with her or have any idea have any theories i think it's a similar thing to moradin okay but that's as far as i would yeah okay we'll, we'll hold <laughs> off on that for now then <laughs> but that that's what i think okay my number one in, in the bottom three i like the guy but he obviously had a really tough time in this book didn't even get mentioned. Probably was just like hanging out underneath a wall <laughs> from the previous book, having been crushed. So I'm sorry, Matt, but you know your performance in this more just kind of along the lines of Perrin. Like this was tough for you, so unfortunately you're in the bottom three as my number one. And it was also disappointing not to see Matt because we all love Matt, and so that, that and emphasis, yeah. I meant to ask that in the beginning. How? Were you, did you feel like you missed it while you were reading it? Were you like, when's Matt coming? Or was it something you realized afterwards? Or did you not really even think of it? Uh, I think this book was so quick. I didn't think of it really until it was kind of over. I was like, oh, nothing really happened. And it feels kind of a jump, right? Yeah, you falls under this wall in the previous book. 
I don't know. This happens with a couple characters throughout the real time, right? Where they're just like non-existent, mm -hmm. but they're still doing yeah. stuff, right? In the background. It's not just like, so you pick up later. And Yeah, Perrin had his honeymoon book where he was gone for a while. I think that, that was that Fires of Heaven? I think it was Fires of Heaven. I think it might have been, yeah. Or and Rand was gone for Fires of Heaven. Book three or something where I was gone for most of it. Yeah, he was mostly gone. Or book three, I mean. Book three and then till the end. Yeah. When he gets the all important calendar. Right. Okay. Top three. All right. I feel like these aren't as exciting as usual, but I'm gonna say Egwene slash Shiriam. I think that because they work together to kind of I don't think it was Egwene all by herself that you know figured everything out and oh sorry, did I say Shiriam? I meant Siwan. Uh, number two, I'm going with um, Davram Bashir just because he's kind of like tackled Rand the Dragon Because of the tackle? <laughs> he tackled it. Like, isn't that like, wouldn't you be terrified, right? You got this guy wielding Kalendor killing everyone and he's going to go uh -huh. tackle him. Like, that's pretty cool. I'm still, I think it's cool. He made my top three. Davram Bashir for defensive end on the, <laughs> right, all, yeah. the exactly. all wheel of time football team. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't read the whole thing yet. So I don't know if he'll get a better scene than that. We'll find out. But that was that needs to be recognized now while he had a cool mm. moment. And then, man, this sad. I, I don't know if I even have a number one. No one? Not even Elaine? I don't want to cause any controversy. <laughs> oh, you won't. Elaine's in my top three. Okay. Ooh. Well, I, if I put her in my top three, she wouldn't be my number one. She'd probably be number number. I'm going to go with, actually, okay, I'm going to go with Avienda. No, I don't know. I thought Avienda's unraveling and, like, doing that was a power moment for her even though she wasn't yeah. in like the rest of the book, but that, that was cool. All right. We'll say those are Caden's top three in no specific order then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. All right, Jake, I want to hear your Elaine top three. Um, yeah. So Elaine is, is three or two. The thing is, I think, first of all, I really like the scene with her and Avienda uh, becoming first sisters. I think that's a really cool aspect of the book. And then also I think, you know, she, she got back to Camelin and, she's getting a sense of like the politicking it's going to take to, to get to win her kingdom and everything. So I think it's a pretty good book for her. Like she does decently well. She's frustrating. Yeah. But she, she does a pretty good job there. Um, I would, I think I would have gone with Avienda over her, except Avienda is in it for such a, a small part of it that I don't think I could justify that. I really want to put Rand in here, but I think he's too much of a neutral force. Like, I think he has some really strong parts, but also he kind of screws it up pretty bad. Um, and I wish I would have gone the, the Davern Bashir pick. That That's a great pick for that <laughs> one moment alone. But I'm actually going to go um, Arangar. Whoa. Oh, okay. number two. Hang on. You didn't, you didn't like the maids. You were, you were pumped when Arangar was killing the maids. She... She is so in confusion. Did, did she though? I feel like they're just like, oh, my maids died. Darn. <laughs> I don't know. I, I remember thinking like, okay, like this is, this is like kind of ominous. Um, she's got a really good cover for whatever she'd want to do. I, I really liked Arangar. To be honest, I'm having a hard time picking a top three because this book <laughs> is so short and not a lot of people get accomplishments done, but I did like her. Um, and then... I'm going to say Egwene for number one. She, I think she has the most accomplished in such a satisfying way as well with the, the outmaneuvering and everything. All right, Jake's all, all girl top three team. Um, I'll go. Yeah. I don't think Rand can make it in. I mean, he does do pretty well. Yeah. You know what that Rand's going to be in number three because he wins the war with the Sean Chan at the, up to this point. Right. And yeah. Yeah, it went pretty well for him up until he ran into the Abu Dar mix-up that uh, our our YouTube channeler Nablus explained. Number two, I'm gonna say Loghain. He starts to kind of come into his own a little bit. He gets a, you know, he gets some some bonding of of Aes Sedai under his belt, and he's kind of got like his own thing now. The tame Loghain, you know, little factions are brewing a little bit. We'll see what happens there. Yeah, number dang the number one is hard because there wasn't that big standout thing, right? Yeah, I get Egwene does have probably the biggest standout moment. You guys already took Egwene and, hmm. Okay, I'm just going gonna Arangar, say, aren't you? Yeah, Arangar. 
Yeah, no, Arangar already appears on my <laughs> bottom three, so that that would that just wouldn't make sense. I mean, I'll say I'll say Egwene because she's maneuvering the tower pretty well. Do you guys think like is there any part of you that thinks Egwene is like a little bit of a Mary Sue here, able to come in and just take control over all these Aes Sedai who have so much more experience than her? I'll let you go first, Caden. I feel like the last book in book seven, I feel like it did a really good job of her showing her at a disadvantage and like overcoming that and like working against that to actually be the one calling the shots. So I think it was portrayed pretty well in that it wasn't just like she came in and was because she's the hero she's doing. So the struggle has been going on for long enough where now it's like, now it's acceptable that she's having so much success. Yeah, I can see if you were just looking at this book alone, I'd feel a little bit more like that. But I feel like if you combine with book seven, it's less like that. Yeah, I think there's definitely been some like jumps in her abilities, but I feel like that's kind of the case for a lot of the characters. None of them have like a really smooth upscaling and power or whatever progression. But I think it's, I think it's pretty earned, um, especially like Caden said with the last book where she is much more like seemingly befuddled. And when you account for all of Swan's influence and support in the background to really like Egwene is good, but I don't, I just don't think she'd be able to do this without Swan. So I don't think like mm-hmm. it's her Mary suing it as much as she has a really good mentor slash sidekick. Yeah. She's got the wise wizard character of her own, the the mentor that every yeah. hero or heroine needs. Yeah. I, yeah. Just to add on, I don't think that any of her plans were made by her by herself. Right. It seems like yeah. Swan was involved in all of them. Okay. That's our coverage of Path of Daggers. And Caden is plowing through Winter's heart, just trudging through the snow there, right? <laughs> yeah, and I know, yeah, a lot of people say it's the slog, but it, it's been pretty good. So I guess I'm like a quarter of the way into it, and I think it's been pretty good so far. So I'm excited. My personal opinion, a lot of people like to say the slog starts with Path of Daggers and that Winter's heart is the most prominent one. But my opinion, it's really just book 10, which I think is Crown of... No, that was the last one. Crossroads of Crossroads Twilight. Of Twilight. To me, that one, that book alone is the slog. And I think just storylines from these three books kind of intertwine into it. And so people like think that it's all of it, but it's really that like Winter's Heart has some slower moments, but I think it has some really great moments as well that make it overall average to not be a slog. I was going to say, I think back book six, besides the ending, like it's probably been my least favorite so far, mm. actually. And I, again, like I said, I've been going upwards. So yeah, I, I'm expecting a little bit of slowdown, but uh, I actually think I'm, I've been enjoying it more the last two books. So Caden, keep track, keep track of your ratings because when you finish the series, we'll have to do a <laughs> tier list episode. Oh, you for can, sure. Yeah, you can, you can plop them in. Sure. One thing I'll, um, I'll bring up again, I, th- I think a lot of people will say that They'll say like Wheel of Time climaxes and endings just aren't that good. Like they're no Sanderson ending, but I feel like they all are pretty Sanderson-esque in terms of epicness up until this book. I think like this book, you realize there isn't a huge climax. Like you have the battle with the Ashaman and then it just kind of ends, but it's not this huge thing. And I think to me, that is a, that's a reason to, to actually view all the rest of the climaxes as better than what a lot of people say. I'm really excited to see how it all ties out in the next, what do I still have left? Five books, six books. Uh, it feels like they're like every <laughs> book we're adding more and more storylines and not very yeah. many of them are being resolved, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and so at some point I feel like it's all got to start just like resolving, tying together and in a big kind of climax. So I guess we'll see, but that's how I'm feeling right now. You're about halfway through though. So <laughs> yeah, there's time, there's right? Some- there's a lot of time. No, I'm not saying I expect that yet. <laughs> yeah. Last thought for me, going off what you were saying a little bit, Jake, I think it's just interesting at this point, we're not fighting against the Forsaken as much. Like there is not a big bad that we're going up against. Instead, all of the antagonistic forces are just like other people. And even the Wheel of Time is very much like creator versus dark one, good versus bad. There's a lot of that gray conflict and just miscommunication and and fighting amongst people who really should all be like gathering together to fight against the forces of darkness who are trying to literally destroy the world but instead there's so much confusion that they're fighting each other when they really should be harnessing all their forces together 
to do the important stuff. And I think that is, I mean, that that's fairly accurate, right? Like if this was to really happen in the world, this would certainly happen. Like uh, we're not all going to all of a sudden work together to fight off like the alien invasion, for example, like if there was some unified threat against all of humanity, like the, like the dark one is. So I, I like wheel of time for that reason. It really kind of um, brings some realism to the fantasy landscape. Yeah. Cool. If you like Phantology books, you can find more at www.phantologybooks.com. Follow us on Twitter at Phantology underscore books. And if you're watching this on YouTube, give us a sub. We're trying to increase our YouTube uh, our YouTube reach. We're trying to be YouTube channelers as well. I, I really <laughs> latched onto that. I thought that was a funny joke, Jake. So thank you yeah. for making it. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to push it out into the in the Wheel of Time YouTube sphere and maybe it'll, maybe it'll catch on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Caden, we will see you for our Winter's Heart review coming soon, whenever you make it through. And until then, see you later, channelers. See ya. <laughs> see you guys. <laughs>